burden of my great responsibility tonight weighs heavily upon me. Through the years, so many preachers, gospel preachers, have graced this pulpit. And because of their preaching from the word of God, and because of the power of the gospel, how many scores of people have come here not ready to face eternity, but have left ready. And so many have died and passed from this uh, veil of sorrow and have left this world ready because of the power of the gospel and because the church here has remained faithful to their um, great responsibility. You have a great responsibility also tonight because your attitude towards the gospel and towards the word of God may mean the difference for you eternally. And so with that thought in mind, I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews, the second chapter. We'd like to read just a few verses to introduce our study. We've entitled The Great Escape. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, reads this way. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? We're going to talk about this great salvation. We're going to talk about those of us who have responded to this great invitation have also made a great escape. I want to talk about that for a little while. Fascinated when I did this study to learn how much the idea and the thought of escape permeates the New Testament. We find it in a number of places mentioned by a number of the gospel writers and the gospel preachers. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, John the Baptist speaking, Who hath warned you to flee, to escape, from the wrath to come? In Matthew 23, verse 33, to the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus said, How can you escape the damnation of hell. Hebrews 12, verse 25, For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Romans 2 and verse 3, the apostle Paul writes, And do you think, you hypocritical Jews, that you will escape the judgment of God? And 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 and 3 says, That the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and they shall not escape. We're talking tonight about what may be the most negative subject that we could talk about, but that's only if you and the life you're living are not right with God. We're talking about hell tonight. I hear everywhere I go, you know, we, we just don't hear too much about hell anymore. Someone mentioned that last night. We need to be reminded about hell. We need to talk about heaven, and we look forward to heaven, and we look forward to being with the Lord throughout eternity. But we need to talk about hell, too. The reason is because Jesus himself talks about hell, and the idea of hell permeates the New Testament. But now, the subject of hell is a positive subject if you're ready, if you know 
that although, although because of your sins, you deserve and I deserve hell, but because of what Jesus did, we've made that great escape through the obedience of the gospel. What a positive and what a beautiful thing. The idea of escape comes to mind when we read a number of uh, Bible passages. We read the story of the ten virgins and they all wanted to make the escape when it came time, when it came judgment day, when they were called, five were ready and five were not. The story of rich man and Lazarus is about a man who decided he wanted to escape, but he waited too late. And then, of course, he wanted his brothers to escape. He said, surely they're headed to the same place. But all they had was the word of God. Moses and the prophets were all they had. And so today, all we have is the word of God. Death itself is inescapable. We don't like to think about death, and we don't like to talk about death a whole lot. But death is inescapable. Oh, well, so many advances today in, in medicine and uh, vitamins, and we spend a lot of time focusing on health and fitness. And certainly these uh, uh, prolong our life and allow the quality of our life to be better than generations before, but really, they're just delaying, postponing the inevitable. Listen, you will die. And some of the ones in here that uh, think that they've got the longest time to live will die before some of those that think that we only have a decade or two yet to live. Death is certain. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, Then the judgment. Just as surely as everyone will die, unless the Lord comes back before then, everyone will stand before God in judgment. We do well to think about death, and we do well to think about judgment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 4, the wise man Solomon says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Why? Because we think a little bit more soberly. We think a little bit more about God. We think a little bit more about the life that we're living. Just before actor W.C. Fields died, a friend visited his hospital room and was surprised to find him thumbing through his Bible. That wasn't something that uh, Mr. Fields did, you see. When he was asked what he was doing, Fields replied, I'm looking for loopholes. Mr. Fields is like a lot of people today. They think just a little bit about this idea of escape. They believe and understand there's something coming. Death is coming. Judgment is coming. Many of them believe and understand that hell is coming, and so they look for loopholes. And the world, even the religious realm, is flooding with loopholes, suggestions of possible escape routes. What do they say? They talk about grace alone, faith alone. They talk about last rites, and they talk about annihilation. They talk about once saved, always saved. And these are escapes, but they're nothing more than escapes from reality. Judgment day is coming, and the only escape that's offered is found in the pages of inspiration. These ideas do not offer any realistic hope. A fellow skeptic once asked the famous atheist, Voltaire, if he would speak some words of comfort to a dying friend, 
Voltaire responded, I don't think I can. The thought that there might really be a hell, hell plagues me continually. Voltaire, who was usually quite confident in his atheistic beliefs, at this point, admitted some of those deep thoughts that he had. You see, there's no, real, real, there's no such thing, really, as a confident atheist. All of them are insecure with the thought of, what if? What if the Bible is right? What if the teaching on hell is really true? I'm here to tell you tonight, it's real and it's true. And if you don't make that great escape, you will have to face the fires of hell throughout eternity. If you are not willing to forsake some of those thoughts and some of those ideas and some of those lifestyles and some of those religious practices, some of our friends, you'll have to face it unprepared. C.S. Lewis was told about a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. To which Lewis quietly replied, I bet he wishes that were so. Another epitaph reads, Consider, young man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare, young man, to follow me. Someone else scratched the following on the same tombstone. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. If you were to die today, how might your epitaph read? The people who know you, do they know that you're living right? Do they know that you're ready? What's more important than that, if you were to die today, would you be ready in God's eyes? People, people here, people that know you, they may think you're ready, and you may know that you're not ready. The Lord knows. People today don't believe in hell, though. A survey taken a few years ago gave some really startling Statistics among folks that although we disagree with, we think that, well, they understand and they, they agree about the reality of hell. From this survey, 35% of Baptists, 54% of Presbyterians, 58% of Methodists, and 60% of Episcopalians said that they don't believe that there's any such thing as a literal hell. Don't believe it's there. Didn't have any statistics, any numbers on what the churches of Christ Believe, but I can't help but think that some of my brothers and sisters are probably doubting about the reality of hell. And certainly, if we're not talking about it, they will. Jesus himself spoke of Gehenna hell 11 times. That's more, than, more times than Jesus taught on the subject of love. Jesus, why would he do that? Why would he talk about hell? Well, Jesus promoted fear. Not because he was just uh, into scaring people. No, there was a reason. There was a motive. It's because he knows what hell is about. And he doesn't want anybody to go there. And he knows that sometimes, and in some, some parts of our life, we're not touched like we should be by the love of God. We're not touched like we should be by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're not as anxious to do right because we know that there's a place called heaven. But sometimes, hell will get our attention. It makes us sit up and take notice and stop and think. Even some of the most godly men were motivated by fear. Hebrews 11, verse 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, 
moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. He believed God, and he believed that God was a rewarder of them who diligently sought him. That also inherently mean, meant that those who did not seek him would also receive a reward, and it would be a negative reward. I'm convinced that the lack of fear is why some folks, maybe some people right here tonight, a lack of fear is the reason why some people are not living right. There are Christians in Bakersfield. You, you think about it. You guys know better than I do. There are men and women living in Bakersfield, California, who used to sit in these pews right now who are not living right. And they know it. And if all of them decided that they're going to get their lives straight, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to have enough seats here tonight. Are they thinking about hell? Most of them aren't. Both of them have got that neatly packed away, hidden away in the recesses of their mind. They don't want to think about hell because they don't want to live right. Some people never obey the gospel because they don't think enough about hell. Why did Jesus preach on hellfire and brimstone? Nobody preached it more than Jesus did. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. Sermons on hell remind the Christian of how great an escape their salvation is, and it also motivates those who may not be living right to think seriously about getting their lives straight. Jesus started early on preaching against hell. In fact, in his first sermon, you think about the Sermon on the Mountain, we think about a lot of beautiful things, a lot of happy things. The Beatitudes are very positive. Once he got through the Beatitudes, less than 10 verses after that, Jesus was preaching on hell. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus warned, Whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus preached on hell. And the hell he preached on was worse than anything you or I will ever experience while on earth. People say, well, uh, that they've gone, gone through it here on earth or this particular place or this particular experience is just like hell. And they call it hell sometimes. Listen, folks, you don't know hell. I don't know hell. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, Jesus puts it in perspective for us. In fact, you have somebody knock on your door sometimes that wants to tell you that there's no such thing as hell. I don't know if there's an easier or clearer scripture than Luke 12, verse 4 and 5 that points to the reality of hell. The Bible there says, and this is Jesus, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Something worse than the most vicious torture that's ever been um, put out or experienced by man here. People have uh, come up with some uh, violent ways in which to torture people, but nothing compared to that place the Bible speaks of as hell. There's a lot of pressure today for people to say, you know, you're okay, I'm okay, let's just, let's just leave, it, leave it at that. Let's just, not, let's just leave each other alone. Let's not talk about things like hell. 
Let's not talk about the reality of hell. And let's not talk about if you don't live by the book, you're going to go to hell. Larry King on CNN. I saw this a couple years ago, two, three years ago, I guess now. Larry King had this a very interesting panel of different religious people, religious backgrounds. He had a, had a Muslim man there. He had a Jewish rabbi. He had a fellow with a Hindu background. He had a, a liberal Roman Catholic. And then he had someone representing the more conservative so-called Christian views. John MacArthur from uh, Southern California, a syndicated radio preacher. They, had a, they discussed a number of things, but it almost seemed like the main thing that Larry King wanted to get to was one particular question, and it was this. So do you really believe, John MacArthur, do you really believe that if you don't believe, if any of us do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we're lost and we're going to hell. He kind of squirmed around a little bit, but then he said, I, I have no choice because that's what my Lord said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's not the only scripture, though, that places a separation. There's a separation and division placed in a lot of different places. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's not my idea. That was Jesus talking. In, John, in the next chapter, that was John 3, verse 5. The next chapter, John 4 and verse 24. God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas, and they'll go on explaining why well, we, we can't quite do things that way because of this, that, and the other reason. Listen, folks. The Bible says, and Jesus says, you've got to worship him in spirit and truth. If you don't, you're wrong. And the word of God will judge you on that final day. God doesn't classify us and distinguish between us like the world does. Doesn't matter to him if we're rich or we're poor, if we're educated or uneducated, intelligent or not, black or white, male or female, young or old, that doesn't matter. He talks a number of times in a number of ways. There's just, there's two classes. And he separates them. Some are on the broad road, the broad way that leads to destruction. Some are on the straight and narrow way that leads to life. Some are building their house on the rock. Some are building their house on the sand. Back and forth, back and forth. There in the very Sermon on the Mount. What's he saying? He's saying there's only two ways. You better make sure you're going down the right way. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Only the gospel highway leads to heaven. Let's talk, though, for a little while tonight um, about some of the things about hell that the Bible communicates to us, things that we can know about hell and reasons why becoming a Christian is such a great escape. First thing we want to talk about about hell is it's never ending. It's not going to end. If you end up in hell, you can't look forward to it being over sometime. It's never going to end. A lot of people talk about the doctrine of annihilation that's becoming more popular, that at the end, just poof, it's all over. And that's not right. The Bible says in Matthew 25, verse 46, it's Jesus again. And these shall go away into everlever punishment. They're going to be punished. And this punishment 
will last forever, but the righteous into life eternal. Paul speaks of the everlasting God. What's he talking about? The God that's always been and always will be. And this punishment will last forever and ever. The eternal spirit, on and on. The Holy Spirit will live on. Without end, never to cease. So we want to be ready. We want to make sure we've made that great escape. Some people say, well, that's not fair. You know, that's not reasonable. If, if that's true, then God's just not fair. For man to be punished eternally for just maybe a, a few years, maybe just a few months, maybe just a few weeks, days, hours of ungodly living, that doesn't seem right. Well, is it fair for man to be rewarded eternally on and on and on for just a few years of righteous living and godly service and obedience? Well, that's a little bit easier for us to accept. We're ready for that. It only takes a man a second to stab someone to death or shoot them and take away their life. But we expect more than a second of punishment, don't we? In our judicial system, if it's not lethal injection, we expect life in prison, years, decades at least for something so heinous. 40 years for one second. We don't have a problem with that at all, do we? Oh, God's right and God is just. You need to understand, if you live in unrepented rebellion, just even for a little while and die in that condition, you will be punished from now on. Nine months before you were born, your life began. And once your life began, there's no end to it. You're going to live eternal, either in the heavens or in this place that we call hell. Makes our, our salvation, it makes our salvation a, a great escape. Another reason why we want to make sure that we've made this great escape is because Hell is a place of darkness, a place so dark we can't even comprehend it. We think we know what darkness is. We don't. We don't really. I think, go back with me if you will, if, you're, if you have a Bible hand, the Exodus chapter 10. There's a special kind of darkness talked about back here. Darker than we usually are familiar with. This is a, about as dark as it ever got except for those three hours, perhaps, when Jesus was on the cross. This is as dark as it ever got on the face of the earth. Listen to this. Exodus 10, this is the ninth plague. Verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. He goes on and says, so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. This isn't hell, but they got a little taste of one aspect of what hell was going to be like. They could feel the darkness. It's going to be darker than that in hell. We don't want to be there. Over and over he talks about it. Hell, Tartarus, Gehenna, 
2 Peter 2, 4, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness. Jude, verse 13, the writer says of false teachers, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Jesus says of the one talent man in Matthew 25, verse 30, what's the great sin that he committed? He buried his talent. But what does the Bible say? Verse 30, casts the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. We're not talking about a shady spot. We're not talking about any kind of darkness that we're, we're used to. We're talking about the blackness of darkness and we're talking about outer darkness. And why so dark? It's not going to be like this. We talked last night about uh, uh, God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. Yeah, he sends the sunshine on the just and on the unjust here too. But after the judgment day and that separation takes place, Jesus will be the light in heaven. And it'll be light. It'll be daytime all the time. There will be no night. There's no Jesus and there's no light in hell. There's nothing to give off light. And so it will be constant. Outer darkness, blackness of darkness. God, the father of lies, won't be there and Jesus won't be either. We think sometimes this darkness aspect is no big deal. That might frighten the children, but that doesn't get to me. We need to think about it, though. I enjoy going to cemeteries, and I like just reading the, the grave markers. And I don't get frightened easily. And I'm not superstitious either. But you'll never catch me at a cemetery after dark. I won't be there. And you probably won't be either. Why? Because we know. We have that feeling, that sense of darkness, of fear of darkness. But in hell, we're talking about an incomprehensible darkness. He talks about it some more and talks about it as a, as a place of fire, as a lake of fire. We think of lakes, we think of water. This is a different kind of lake. It's a lake of fire. Matthew 23, verse 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Jesus preached about hell. There's some of the people there he confronted directly. I cannot see how you can make that escape. You won't open your eyes, you won't open your hearts. There are people like that today. We're talking about Gehenna hell, the eternal punishment of fire and brimstone. Gehenna now, you have to remember there was a place, there was a real live place, the Valley of Hinnom. And there was a place there, I believe it was southeast of Jerusalem, just a little ways. It was just like a big garbage dump. And they'd go take this trash and they would dump it there. And this fire would just continually be burning and burning and burning. It never stopped burning. Just keep burning and burning. Now, he wasn't saying that everybody's going to end up in that little that pile of fire there that burns on forever and ever. He was using that as an illustration of what hell is going to be like. It's garbage and all the refuse, all those who had no faith, who refused to live and serve God, they're going to be put in a place like that that burns on and on and on. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Some people don't think Jesus can say that. The Bible says he does. Matthew 25, verse 41. He talks about a furnace of fire. In Matthew 13, 49, fire and brimstone. Revelation 20, verse 10. Matthew 3, verse 12, a baptism in fire, unquenchable fire. In Mark 9, verse 47 and 48, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. For it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Jesus was preaching about hell a whole lot. 
He doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't want me to go there. Then he says, where the fire is not quenched. You know, it doesn't matter to me. If there's a place where there's a fire burning on and on and on, but I'm unconscious and I never know about it and I never feel about it, I don't care about it. But now if I am conscious and I am experiencing it, then that gets my attention and that, gets my, that makes me concerned. And that's why this passage is one more proof that it goes on and on and on. Jesus wasn't teaching self-mutilation here. He was using hyperbole or exaggeration to say, you do whatever it takes to make sure you don't end up in this place. You seek first the kingdom of God so you don't have to go there. Revelation 20, 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book? Do you know your name's written in the book? Can't you hear what the Lord is saying? Over and over and over. We, we've mentioned about seven, seven or more passages. He's saying, fire, there's a fire coming. Fire, fire. And he's warning us, get ready. Make your escape. You don't want to have to go through this. We don't want to have to go through that. You know how long, it's, it's a little bit, been a little bit over five years now since that tragedy on 9-11. People were jumping out of the 80th story of those buildings. Now that's crazy, 80 stories? Horrible scene. Why would somebody jump out of the 80th floor of a building? Well, because they saw the fire coming. And given the choice, they would jump to their deaths rather than to be burnt to a crisp. But hell is a place where people not only burn, but they never burn up. Old time uh, preacher Marshall Keebles says, I'll tell you how hot hell is. You can remove the dam from hell and place them in the hottest fire that's ever been experienced here on earth and they'd freeze to death in 10 seconds. I think that's about right. I think he's about got it right. Knowing about hell ought to be a deterrent. And tonight, if you are not absolutely sure that you are right with God, you ought to be scared to death. Are you faithful to the Lord? Are you faithful to his bride, the church? Are you faithful to the truth? There's fire coming if you're not ready. Well, it's a place of conscious pain and suffering. We don't like pain. We've got a lot of ways to help us avoid pain. Can't avoid this pain. Everlasting punishment, everlasting fire, Everlasting suffering, torment is one of the words that's used. Let me, let me say just some, something else, though, before we get into this. In John chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, The hour is coming in which all that are in the graves are in, shall hear his voice. Every last person that has ever died, doesn't matter uh, whether they've received just a normal burial or if they've been incinerated, they're going to all come up. They're going to all hear the vo voice of the Lord and come forth. And they that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. He's not going to miss a single person. Everybody's going to come forth. And those people who thought that they could fool and kid and slip by are going to get a rude awakening. 
Some people, this, this, this one passage right here knocks in the head so many false doctrines. One of the ones, though, is this idea of annihilation. The only way it can work is the, the damned and the saved rise, and then the damned are told, shame on you, you've been bad, and then they're poof, they're gone. Does that make any sense at all for the punishment that they'll receive? Not at all. Where their worm died, it doesn't say where the worm. Again, we're not concerned about the worms, are we? But he says their worm. That makes it personal. That worm belongs and is attached to somebody. It's not about worms, it's about us. Conscious punishment is required for weeping and gnashing of teeth. Six times the word torment is used to describe the state of the wicked after death. You can't torment one who is unconscious. We're going to be conscious. It's a conscious place of suffering. Not us, but those who are not prepared, those who haven't made the great escape. Revelation 20.10 says, The devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. Men shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. We'll be smoking if we don't make that great escape. Notice that, that it's for the devil and his angels. God doesn't want any of us to go there. It's only those of us who choose not to serve the Lord and not to follow the Lord. Here's another reason. I'm thankful I've made that great escape. I don't want to be with all the creeps that go to hell. The most wicked men and women that have ever lived in life. Now, there's going to be some good people that just didn't serve the Lord. But there's going to be some monsters there. Men and women who've, who've committed sins so abominable that they'd make the devil blush. They'll all be there. The Mansons and the Hitlers and the Saddams and the Osamas and any of these wicked people that live that don't repent and turn back to the Lord. The mass murderers, the child molesters, the rapists, they'll all be there. But there'll also be people who live pretty, pretty good lives, really. But they were atheists. Book of Revelation says there'll be some people there who were just fearful, like the one who buried his talent. The unbelieving, the backslider. They'll hear, hear these words. I don't want to hear these words. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Get away from me. Prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be with that crowd. Another reason? Just have a few more, a few more thoughts. A couple more thoughts and we'll be done. There's no rest. I've already read that in Revelation 14, 10, 11. No rest day and night. Many of us here tonight have gone for a couple of days without getting any sleep. Maybe it was because of uh, some emergency work situation. Maybe it was because of health, your health, or taking care of someone else. You couldn't, you couldn't sleep. And it got to the point where you crave more than food, more than water, just being able to lay down and sleep. It's going to be like that in hell. Well, there's not going to be any rest. No rest will be coming. Why? Because they're tormented day and night. We've really already alluded to this, but I want to drive this point home 
a little further. There's no hope. There's no hope. Once you, th once you get there, there's no second chance. We get an, we get an image of, uh, of the separation in Luke 15, in that parable, that teaching there. There's going to be a separation. There's going to be a division. There's going to be a gulf fix. There's no, no going back and forth. There's a finality about hell. There's no hope in hell. If hell only lasted for 100 years, wow, that'd be a long time to undergo all that we've talked about. But you know, after the first year, you just have 99 more years. You could count the time off. But just like in heaven, those who are in hell after 100 years, 1,000 years, their time will have only just begun. The saddest part of all for those who don't make the great escape will be because they realize when they're there, so many will, we didn't have to go here. God sent his son from heaven down to earth so I wouldn't have to go here. So you wouldn't have to go there. So none of us would have to go there. I didn't take it serious. Knew it was wrong. Maybe it was going to make it right someday. The time just kept slipping away. And finally, their time was gone. You didn't have to go there. Brothers and sisters, maybe it's your physical family, maybe it's just brothers and sisters in Christ praying for you. They knew you weren't right. You knew they were praying for you, but you never did anything about it. You don't know, we don't know what hell's going to be like. We know we're going to have a memory of things. Maybe you'll remember, wouldn't this be horrible? See your mother's tears. Envision her praying that you'd turn, but you never did. It's said that about 200 years ago, the tomb of the great Emperor Charlemagne was open. The workmen saw his body in a sitting position clothed in the most elaborate kingly garments. He had a scepter in his bony hand and on his, lee, his knee lay the holy scriptures. And he had a cold, lifeless, bony finger pointing to Mark 8, verse 36, which reads, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. How is it with you tonight? I hope you can think, of, think about each of these and think, wow, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. I'm so glad I've made that great escape. I'm so glad that that, that day or that night I went into that water, had my sins washed away, and I don't have to worry about that. I'm so glad that I'm ready. I hope that's you tonight. But if it's not, I hope that tonight, before this invitation song is finished, you will walk down this aisle and you will say, I want my sins washed away. I want to be ready. If you're not ready as a Christian, I hope you will come down the aisle during this invitation song, repenting of your wrongs, confessing your sins, asking for prayer. So you'll know tonight when you leave, when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, 
You can take a deep breath, exhale, and know, I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready when you are. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.